This morning, uh, we continue in our series, Live Free. And, and we've seen that to live free, to, be, to truly be free, is, is to know Christ. And, and that Christ has set us free from the penalty of sin, uh, which is the eternal death. And we, we know to live free is to be set free from the trap that, that the enemy has on us. The grip that he has on us that Christ has set us free, that we can truly be free indeed. And that's what Jesus says in John 8. And we've seen over the last free week, uh, a few weeks different aspects of that, the, during the stresses of life, the, the burdens of life. How can we still experience freedom? Well, today what I want us to do is to know that to experience the freedom of Christ, to live free, is to learn and practice and experience what Jeremiah Burroughs, an old old man of old, um, said is the, the rare jewel. It's the rare jewel. And what is that? It's, it's biblical contentment. And what is contentment? Uh, this world um, would define contentment in many different ways. Contentment is a, is a tough word, in fact, in a consumer-driven culture like ours. We're living in a day where mo- we are most marketed to uh, than any other time in history. Um, on any given day, the average American will see 3,000 commercials. You might be saying, how in the world is that possible? I'm not sitting in front of the TV quite that long. When you think about it, when you're on your computer, uh, all the, the advertisements that are coming up. In fact, this morning, as I was looking over stuff for, for uh, uh, our time today, I, I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, my, my computer was, was so nice, it, it, it shot up in the corner uh, an email. It was just reminding me, letting me know email has come in. Um, and it was an email from Home Depot. Um, 20% off just today, just today. I thought to myself, wow. It doesn't seem like 20% is like the catch today, 20%. And, and, and they get us, right? And, and so there was already my little commercial for the day. And on average, it's amazing to think on average 3,000 a day will come before the average American. A child born today will likely see over one million commercials in their lifetime before the age, or excuse me, before the age of 20. And so what's the purpose of of all this consumer-driven marketing in our day? And there's really two, two reasons. The first one is this, to tell you and I that you need what they're selling. You need it. But not only do you need it, but the second thing is, you need it right now. You need it right now. And we can buy into that. We can get to a place where we have this persistent need or we feel like we have this need for stuff. In fact, Dave Ramsey will call it stuff-itis, where we love our stuff and we want stuff now. So it is a fight. It is a fight of faith to be content. And so to live free is to learn, is to practice, is to experience this rare jewel of Christian contentment. Now, if you go to a dictionary, contentment will simply say this, that it's the state of being satisfied or having peace or happiness. And the world will definitely put a different twist on what that means. But today what I want us to see is is what does the Bible say about contentment? What is true biblical contentment that God wants us to have? 
And Paul talks about that in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to walk through these verses this morning. And the context here is so important because what is Paul talking about? He's simply telling us that the church at Philippi, which he started, had generously supplemented his income. Uh, You see, Paul on the side was a tent maker. Uh, He would do that so that others would not have to to bear the financial burden that he had and traveling and ministry expenses. And so Paul would do that on the side. And the Philippians had come alongside supplementing his income so that he could continue the, the work of preaching and planting churches. But their giving had reached a point where it stopped. It stopped because they found themselves in a state of being impoverished. They were in a situation where they had to stop their generosity at that time. But now the opportunity has returned again. And Paul is going to speak of that. To speak of now how they're giving once again. And so let's let's see what Paul says about that. And what he does is great truth for our souls today. Look what he says in verse 10 through 11. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. That now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Now that I speak from want, or excuse me, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And then look at verse 12. He says, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And and so as I'm walking up here today, as I'm hearing Matt read this, I I just started thinking, Paul, you know this? Man, tell us. (laughs) Paul says, I know this. And I'm sitting here thinking, Paul, please tell us. Because man, we need it. We need it. And, And so what is the key to contentment? What is contentment? What's that secret that he has found? So the first thing today, Paul was content, but what is this word content? What does it really, really mean? And I think Gary Thomas in his book, Authentic Faith, I think gives us a great definition, a great idea of what contentment is. He says contentment is nothing more than soul rest. The the state of our, our soul being at rest. It is satisfaction, it's peace, it's assurance, it's a sense of well-being that is cultivated by pursuing after right things, godly things, biblical things. Instead of more power, instead of more money, instead of more pleasure just for our sake or more control, we seek an abundance of grace and peace. But I love just the two words. Contentment is what? Soul rest. Somebody asked you this morning, is your soul at rest today? Paul could say, yes, my soul's at rest, no matter what comes. But here's my question to Paul. Paul, what lies behind such contentment? Paul, tell us that secret. What, what lies behind such contentment? And so here's what I want to do today. I, I just realized this. I didn't realize this till teaching at 9 a.m. that I have nine points today <laughs> just for you. It's like a gift, right? Nine, you know? The normal preacher has three. You get three times that, right? Um, but uh, anyway, it's, it's, it's not that long. Don't be scared. But anyway, the first thing is this. What do we learn? Paul, tell us what lies behind this contentment. He tells us here in these verses. But what's the first thing? And the first one's real simple. But listen. It's huge. 
He says this, the first thing that lies behind contentment is trust in God. Trust in God. It's confidence in the sovereignty of God. We see that as Paul speaks of this care that the Philippians have for him. He knows that God is in complete control. He doesn't have to panic. He doesn't have to worry when there's food on the table. When he doesn't know where he's going to get the next dollar. Paul doesn't worry because he trusts God. That God is going to do what he's going to do. And that God is for him. We, we know this next verse that I'm about to share. We know the last part of it really well. But there's something before it that is huge. Hebrews 13.5, I I love this. The writer says this, be content with what you have. For he himself, God says this, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. So what's key to that? We know the promise, God will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. We, We know that. But the key to being content is believing that, is trusting that. Do you believe that God is for you? Do do you believe that he will not leave you through whatever you're going through? And that's the first key to contentment, is trusting him and believing, yes, he's for me, no matter what comes, no matter what comes. The second thing is this, it was Paul's ambition. His ambition was Christ. And we get that throughout this whole letter of Philippians. We see what lied behind his contentment was his ambition after Jesus. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 10, listen to what Paul says about his great desire of his life. He he just told us, this once was what I lived for. Now, this is what I live for now. And listen to this attitude in verse 7 of chapter 3. He says, in fact, it's not on, oh, it is on the screen. There it is. Okay. But whatever things were to gain to me, so whatever was profit for me, Paul says, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Jesus. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of many things and all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may now gain Jesus and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And here's what he says. Now that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. There's no gray area of wondering what Paul's chasing after. It's black and white with Paul. His ambition in life was Jesus. It was all about him. And that was the key to his contentment. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6 through 8, what, is, what does Paul tell his best friend about this? He says to Timothy, but godliness actually is a means to great gain when it's accompanied by contentment. For listen to what he says, we have brought nothing into the world so we cannot take anything out of it either. Basically Paul's saying, hey, don't, don't put a, a U-Haul on the back of the hearse, right? You ain't taking it with you. And then he says, if we have food and covering with these we shall be content. You see, Paul saw becoming more like Jesus with the attitude of contentment as the greatest gain, both for life and in death. He knew that the material possessions of this world would not last forever. They won't go with us. But here, while we're here on earth, 
the material possessions that we have. They're to be used for the glory of God. And as those pursuing godliness, we should and can be content with having our necessities met. Paul says, that is, yes, enough. And so, guys, contentment, it's one of the greatest assets in life. But key to that is having as our greatest ambition, Jesus, that we pursue hard after him, of having this growing, intimate, ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. It's key. If that's not there, if it's not vibrant, contentment, it's not possible. The third thing is Paul had a thankful heart. We see that all throughout the last part of this letter here. But he says at the beginning of verse 11, not that I speak from want. And what Paul is saying here with these simple words is he's wanting the Philippians to know that as he talks about this financial gift, that that he wasn't being greedy. And we don't see that at all in Paul's words, but he didn't want to come off as one that was focused on money. You see, in Paul's day, there was what was called charlatans. They would be uh, pastors or preachers that would go on the street and they would preach for money. They would preach for a buck. It's much like uh, you'll find on TV today with like TBN uh, preachers and like that who are, who are simply after a dollar. And Paul wanted to separate himself from those. He didn't want to come off as focused on money, but he wanted them to know that he was thankful, that he was thankful in his heart. And so being thankful for what we have, it is vital to contentment. Uh, We can easily get caught up in the things of this world and convince ourselves that we need something when we really don't. And when our heart is not thankful for what we do have and, and then our needs being met, we easily can go to a place where we think what really is a want is really a need. I mean, really, isn't that the, the struggle? What, what are really wants and, and what are really needs? It's like this. I, um, my two boys, they, they would love for their dad to have a truck. Right, Noah? Noah's sitting there going, yeah. I mean, that's like his. So every time we pull up to a, to a light, in fact, this happened this morning. Noah and I are driving. We're talking. And all of a sudden, Noah turns to the right, looks out, he goes, Dad, look at that truck. And I can't tell you how many times this happens. Pierce, Pierce and Noah, I mean, they, Dad, look at that truck. And he's like, that's a, that's a Chevy Silverado. And it was bright and shiny, nice and white this morning. And he's like, he, without fail, without fail. And you know, deep down inside, there's some layers. If you would, you know, peel back, where, hey, that'd be great. That would be cool, you know? But what's a, what's a need and what's a want? And Paul had a, had a heart where he was thankful that his needs were met. I think we can convince ourselves often that what we have is not sufficient anymore when it really is. It really is. We can get the fever, right? We can get the house fever. We can get the, the car fever. And we start convincing ourselves that that want is really a need. But I think Paul says here, when we have a thankful heart, we really realize what truly is a need. And so Paul was thankful. He was thankful that his needs were taken care of. And then fourth, important to contentment is God's boundaries, is God's limitations. Now, how many of you liked this morning that I just said the word boundaries and limitations, right? 
Not many of us, right? We, we don't like to hear that. We don't like to be limited. We don't like to have boundaries. We don't like to be fenced in. But a direct fruit of contentment is a mind that understands its limitations and boundaries. And so we've got to be careful to not be preoccupied with things God has not given to us and covet what others have and what we do not have because the enemy loves to tempt us in that area. We can be slow to recognize those subtle mental temptations, those echoes from the Garden of Eden from way back when, when Satan loves to tell us, go ahead, express your dissatisfaction. This, this, uh, excuse me, can I say that? Dissatisfaction with God. Go ahead and just go get it. Even though it's not God's ways, even though it's not his words, even though it's not his provision that you like, go, and, go get it anyway. Go get it anyway. Take what he has forbidden. And we, and we do that. We think, oh, he doesn't really love me, so I'm just going to go and take it. He hadn't given me that, but I'm just going to go ahead and take it while I have the chance. And so we, we think like that, and, and we step outside maybe of limits and boundaries that God has for us. Now, this isn't just with stuff. It, it obviously is with things and purchases, but it's also with God's plans. And we think sometimes... We want to know, what, what does God have for us in the future? What does he have for our days? And we get fixated on knowing what those plans are for us. And sometimes we get caught up in that. But God wants us to trust him with today. He wants us to trust him with what we have today. And I love this verse, in Psalm 16, verse 6. And I think this helps us understand that God's limitations, that his boundaries are awesome. They're good. And listen to what Psalm 16 says. It says that the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. This is what David says. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. And so what does that mean? What is King David in Psalm 16 saying? He's basically saying this, that God has each one of us specifically fenced in so we can enjoy him to the fullest. And so this is when being fenced in and limited and having boundaries is great and good because the end purpose is the greatest of all goods. God gives us limits. He gives us boundaries to what he wants us to know and what he wants us to have. For what reason? So we can enjoy him. Because he knows that, hey, if you go get this, and it's outside that limit he has for you, he knows that that's gonna rob you of him, of knowing him more. And so what does God do? He, he wants us to trust him. He, he wants us to realize that he is all we need. And so he has limits and he has boundaries. So we will trust him and enjoy him. And so God's boundaries are important. They're, they're huge. The fifth thing is this, contentment is learned. It's not just something you wake up and you realize, oh, I got it, I got it. It's not something that when we get saved, it just automatically comes. It's not some seven-step program that we enter into and we walk out and it's all solved and we're now content at all times. No, contentment, it's not easy. It's hard. It's something that 
we learn. And the key to having contentment, I believe, is these fruits we're talking about this morning that lie behind contentment. These are things we have to learn. And we have to ask God, help me, God, in these areas. And what happens is God begins to form us and transform us to be more like him. In Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30, you remember what Jesus said last week? Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. And what does he tell us? Take my yoke upon yourself. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But there's something he says in there as well. He says, learn from me. Learn from me. You and I are to learn from Christ what contentment looks like. And Paul imitated that as well. Now look at verse 12. We're going to pick up the speed here a little bit. Look what he says again. He says in verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And so what does Paul say here? Contentment, the sixth thing, is independent of circumstances. Our contentment is not dependent on what's going on around us. It's independent of that. Think about it. As Paul writes this letter, he's writing from prison. And so his circumstances are not the greatest. Paul says here, I know though how to be content whether I'm suffering or whether it's a season of abundance. He writes now, many believe as he's chained to a guard. Sometimes he was more like in a house arrest type deal, but it seems here in Philippi, possibly chained to a guard 24-7. He's no doubt lonely. He's deprived of things, of comfort. He no doubt faces the thought at any moment he could be brought before Nero and put to death. Yet in spite of this, Paul says in verse 10, I greatly rejoice. It's so counter-culture. And Paul says, whether I'm in poverty Poverty or I have affluence, I'm content. I'm content. I think it's an important note. I mean, we think when we talk about contentment, we think real quickly to hard times. We think real quickly to times where money is light. But Paul also says here in times of abundance, in times of prosperity. Why do you think he says that? Because what we're tempted to do often when things are going good is we, teen, we, we, we seem to step back. We're tempted to kind of step back and we don't lean on God as much because things are not rough, they're not hard, and so we just kind of do it on our own. Do you ever notice that? When things get tough, when things get hard, we were praying more, we're in our Bible more, we come to church more, we do that. But when things get successful a little better, we tend to lighten up on those things. Paul says, not with him. He has learned that in whatever, it's a low time or a high time, a poverty time or affluence time, I'm content with Christ. I need him in every season, every season. Whether he gives or whether he takes away. Look at verse 13 because Key to this, though, is something beyond us. Why can Paul say that? Listen to what he says in verse 13. This is huge. Paul says, I can do all things. We can quote this, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
Paul lived like this because of the daily power of God. He believed that God was his source of strength. For the times of poverty, for the times of prosperity, he believed that. But we've got to be careful with this verse. You see, this verse right here is connected to context. And many times we take it out of context. Paul doesn't mean here that, hey, you can go out and even though you have not run for a whole year, (laughs) that you can go and hit the ground and be a marathon runner tomorrow, right? That's not what he means. That's not what he means. He doesn't mean that man, Julio Jones, who lit up the Dallas Cowboys a couple weeks ago, I want to run and play like him. (laughs) And so I can go out the next week, and just like that, I can be like him. That, that, this verse has been taken to so many extremes. And that's not what this verse means. What Paul is saying here, when he says all things, he's referring to his current physical circumstances and that he has, because of Jesus, spiritual strength for what he's going through. See, Christ is his strength through the hard times, through the suffering times, and yes, the times of prosperity as well. But what he's saying here is not you can just go do anything. He is saying this, and and I want you to hear this. You can do what God has assigned for you to do. You can go through what God has given you. Whether it's losing your job, whether it's a a physical condition, whatever it is, what he's saying is, I can be your strength through that. I I believe there are certain things that God wants on the plate of our life, and there are certain things that he doesn't want on the plate of our life. There are certain things that God has created us for individually and specifically and gifted us for, and then there are other things that he hasn't. And so we've got to be careful with this verse. But the key is that he has strengthened us. He has given us the source of strength, Jesus Christ, to take us through whatever we walk through, whatever suffering, whatever hardship, to sustain us so that we don't waver in our faith. That's the main point. It's not some physical might and strength that he's gonna give you. It comes down to your faith that you would not waver through whatever he wills for you. So that's key. He's our source of strength. Two more things. Look at verse 14 through 17. He says, nevertheless, you have done well, as he's talking to the Philippians, to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. Wouldn't you love to hear that? I mean, that's an encouraging letter if you got that. You'd be like, Wow, I mean, your, your soul would be filled with joy hearing that. And then he says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit, which increases to your account. And so what's the eighth thing? And we see it both in the Philippians and we see it in Paul. The eighth thing is this. Contentment is other-centered. Contentment is other-centered. Paul's so thankful for that, uh, what the Philippians have provided for him. And what have they done? Think, think about this for a second. Paul went to Philippi. 
He planted a church there. He started a church. He went and he shared the gospel with them. And quickly after that, he traveled to a place called Thessalonica. We have two letters in the New Testament, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, that he wrote to that church. And he went and he started that church. And while he was there, while he was preaching and, and planning that church, and before he left to go to Athens and to Gre- uh, Corinth, the Philippians started sending gifts to Paul. And so think about that for a second. He plants the church in Philippi. He goes to Thessalonica. He's preaching. And before he goes to Athens and Corinth, he receives these gifts, these financial gifts from Philippi. And Paul is overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed with gratitude. Because in Philippians 1.6, Paul will say this. He says, I am confident that the work that God has begun, that he will bring it unto completion. And Paul receives those gifts and he starts getting excited because he starts realizing, wow, God's doing it. The work that God began, he's continuing to do that. And so what does that mean? God, uh, Paul was so thankful, not merely for the money, but what what was he thankful for? The last part of verse 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit, the fruit, which increases to your account. You see, The generosity of the Philippian church was a fruit of spiritual maturity. And for Paul, that gave him more joy than any financial gift. You see, the financial gift was a demonstration of their growth. So biblical contentment produces or leads to, as we see in the Philippian church, generosity. The church of Philippi, they gave even when they had little to give. And giving to the work of the Lord demonstrates your contentment with what you have. You see, you cannot give if you aren't convinced that what God's given you is enough to meet your needs. And that's what they did. And Paul was overwhelmed with gratitude for that. They were other-centered. Paul was other-centered as well because he was so concerned about their spiritual maturity. And it excited him to see them growing. And then the last thing, look at verse 18 through 19. And this is huge and we'll wrap up. He says this, but he says, I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says here, Epaphroditus has brought the gift to me that you wanted me to have to help with my ministry, and who does God, or who does Paul give the praise to for all of this. He gives it to the Lord. He praises God. So the ninth point is this, contentment is God honoring. You see, Paul's gratitude is not just mere admiration toward the Philippians, but it is Godward admiration. He is praising God. And you see, such contentment that leads to generosity is honoring to the Lord. And so he first and foremost, Paul does here, recognizes that the Philippians' gifts to him were what? They were an acceptable sacrifice and they were pleasing to God. So God was honored. And he says, as he's giving God the glory, he says something I want to leave you with today. He says this. He says that God will supply all your needs. He tells the Philippians that. He says they have sacrificed a lot on behalf of the gospel. But he tells them 
God will supply your needs. I want us to hear that. God will supply your needs. Ringing in my head all week was a phrase from a great local pastor, Tony Evans. And I remember one day I was driving and he was teaching on this passage and he kept focusing on that statement, God will supply your needs. And I love what he said next and he said it a lot better than I could and a lot crazier than I could and he said this. He said, God is not in the business of meeting your greed but your need. He's not in the business of meeting your greed but your need. That's what he loves and desires to do. And so he tells them here, God will supply our needs according to what? To his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Okay, Paul, again, another verse that we can be careful with here because prosperity teachers, they take this all over the place and, and they'll run wild with this. It doesn't mean that God's gonna supply your luxury. The primary concern right here is not physical and physical goods, but it's spiritual as God gives us everything we need to face the hardships, everything we need to face the suffering in our lives so that we are not once again tempted in our faith to waver, but by the riches that we have in the glory of Jesus Christ that we will cling to him evermore. And so that's what he means when he says, I will amply supply everything you need. I will give you everything you need to get through that hardship. I will give you everything you need, whether it's in a season of suffering or abundance. And Paul believed that, and he believed it, and he thanked God for meeting his needs, and he gave him the glory. In verse 20, now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever, amen. You see, Paul knew Paul knew that the blessings that came for the Philippian church was God's channel, was, was straight from God. It was God's channel, God's conduit, conduit. That's who the Philippians were, God's conduit to give the riches of the glory of Christ to Paul. And so Paul gave the glory and the praise for the Philippians and gave the glory and the praise to where it was due and it was back to God. You see, the world today, guys, is not teaching the contentment that Paul just relayed to us and testified to us about. And we're gonna get out there today and we're gonna have every commercial, every pause in a football game, whether you sit and watch a cartoon with your kiddo or whatever it is, there's gonna be this push to go out and make you feel like you, you need something and you need it now. You see, this world wants you to think that contentment is just a short-term mindset. Maybe so short-term that you just think about it for an hour and 15 minutes today. But it's not, it's long-term. It's long-term. And we can choose to be content, to have our souls at rest regardless of the circumstances. And I think what we learned from Paul and we learned from the Philippians is contentment makes us available for what God wants to do in our lives so that we're not tied down, we're not strapped down, but instead we can freely go when he says go. 
We can freely give when he says give. We can freely serve when he says serve. We can freely go and do this and do that when he says to go. Contentment allows that for us. And that's what Paul did. And that's what the Philippians did. And so I pray today we would learn contentment. And that our souls would be at rest. It begins with believing in Christ. Jesus is the only one who can make our souls at rest. Rest from the penalty of our sin, which is eternal death. Rest from guilt. Rest from shame. Rest from contentment. He's the only one that can relieve us of that. And he did that through the cross. He bore the weight of it all so we can truly have our soul at rest today. And so today, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you want to know the contentment that Paul talks about today, begin by believing in Christ. Believe and trust, uh, trust in Jesus to save you, to forgive you of your sin, and to know that in him there is no condemnation, but to know that there is grace and there is mercy and there is life eternal. So believe in Christ today. Let's pray.